Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. How many of you have 100% of your Christmas shopping done? Yeah, I have bad feelings towards, towards those of you with your hands raised right now. So how many of you say you're at 75%? 75% of the way, you're getting, you're getting pretty close to it. 50%, how many of you at 50%? How many of you don't want to talk about it? Right, yeah, okay, I'm with you, right? So because we're at that point today, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, we're gonna talk, I wanna give you a Christmas gift-giving guide. And I told Rhonda last night, I says, I think, I think I'm gonna title this message a Christmas gift-giving guide, her immediate response. She didn't even take a breath. She looks right at me and she goes, can I get it on Amazon? Is it available with Prime? Like she's already thinking, I gotta get it. I gotta have it, you know, now. And what we're gonna talk about giving today is not something that you can buy. It's not a physical, tangible thing. I'm really thankful and fortunate that, that both my family and Rhonda's family are people who know how to give, not, not just in a physical sense, not just gifts that are under a tree or in a financial sense, but it's who they are. Like, like it's like wrapped up. I, I've seen from my parents, from Rhonda's parents, what it means to be someone who's willing to give of themselves, give to other people. And I'm so thankful for that because I know the difference that it's made in my life and the impact that it's had on me because I learned giving from people who know how to give. Today, as we talk about how to give of ourselves this Christmas, we're gonna look at the model and example of Jesus because he's the one who ultimately shows us how to give. We learn how to give from Jesus. And today, as we look at how Jesus gave, we're gonna learn how we can give. When we see how he gave of himself, we can see how we can give of ourselves. And we're gonna go to probably the most basic and familiar Christmas passage that there is. Luke chapter two tells the nativity story and it's going to show us how we can give. So let's look at this. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 6. Here's what we read. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want to talk to you about giving two things today. Two things we're going to talk about. Here's the first one. This Christmas season, I hope you will, number one, give hope. This Christmas season, I hope that you will give hope. Here's, here's what we see here, familiar passage of scripture. And it starts out with this. It says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And we read right past that. We, we breeze right past that. The significance of those couple of phrases is huge in this whole story. Let's talk for a minute what it means when they say while they were there, because this is critically important. We ask the question, well, where were they? And they were in a place called Bethlehem. If you're not familiar with the story, here's how they got there. Look at this. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, gives us the background. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, 
and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So they were there. They were in Bethlehem. And this was really significant because the rulers in that time said, we want to do a census. And instead of them going out and counting people where they were, they said, you have to go back to the place you came from. So Joseph, who was living in Nazareth and was engaged to this lady, Mary, had to leave where he was living and go back to where he was from. And so he went back to Bethlehem. And so he had to make this journey from the the northern part in, in Galilee and go back to the southern part of Israel in Judea to a place called Bethlehem. It was probably inconvenient. He took Mary with him, and she's expecting a baby. The timing probably wasn't right, but they made this trip, and it was very, very important that they were there. They had to be in that right place. Why was it important? Because the Old Testament prophecy says that when the Messiah comes, when the one who's going to rescue us shows up, he will come and he will be born in a place called Bethlehem. Now, we often refer to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up, but it's not where he was born. He was born in Bethlehem. And the book of Micah chapter 5 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this is critically important. The Messiah, the Christ, the one who was going to rescue people, had to be born in Bethlehem. Scripture says that he was born in the right place. And then it says that when the time had come, it was not only the right place, but it was the right time for the baby to be born. See, God very strategically and significantly knew the right time for Jesus to show up. In fact, historians will show you that if you look at ancient history, at that moment in time when Jesus showed up, because of the proliferation of the Greek language, because of the organizational structure of governments, there was never a better time in human history for one message to spread so rapidly throughout the then-known world. This was very significant. Jesus didn't show up at a random place at a random time. This wasn't just some fluke of history. God had a great plan. He knew what he wanted to do, and he brought Jesus to the right place at the right time. Have you ever looked at a situation in your life and said, I am in the right place at the right time? You ever been there? The other day, we were were cooking something. We decided this is what we're gonna make. This is what we're gonna eat. We had reached the point of no return only to find out that we didn't have the main ingredient. Been there? Right? And so I'm not real good in the kitchen, but I'm fairly capable behind the, the steering wheel. And I said, Rhonda, I will run to the grocery store and I will save the day. So I ran to the grocery store, shot in there, had to grab two things, made my way up, and I'm, I'm getting up to the register, and just as I'm getting to, you know, you're scoping them out, right, which one's the shortest, and just as I'm moving in on that register, another lady with her cart of stuff moves right in front of me, and I was like, oh, I shouldn't have stood and lusted over those donuts. I knew I shouldn't have, but she like, she beat me right in there, and so I'm standing there. And I'm just kind of waiting. I know I'm in a hurry. I want to get home with this stuff. I want to save the day. And this lady, and if you're here, God bless you. She turns and she looks at me and she goes, do you only have those two things? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is, and you're like, yes, jackpot. Like, you know where this is going, right? I was like, yeah, I just got got these two things. Do you want to go ahead of me? And I'm like, nah, that's fine. And inside you're going, you better believe it, lady. Get out of the way, right? That's what you're thinking. 
She's like, no, 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 go ahead. I'm not in a hurry. You just got those two things. You go. And I step up there. You are the nicest lady in the world. I don't know who you are, but that was awesome. And I walked out of there, and I looked at, like, the lane next to me, and I saw the lady that was checking out there, and I could tell she was not nice. And I realized, I don't know that for sure, but I know this. I know I was in the right place at the right time. It's a beautiful thing when you're in the right place at the right time. Jesus didn't show up as some fluke of history. He didn't come at just some random moment. When Jesus showed up, he showed up at the right place at the right time. So get this. Hope is believing God was in the right place at the right time. So you put your hope in him. You put your hope in Jesus Christ, and you're reminded that God has a plan, and God has a strategy, and he sent his son there to Bethlehem at just the right time in history because he knew that that was the moment when he could make the difference, when he could change the record, when everything would be different. See, hope is believing God was in the right place at the right time, that God had a plan, that his life, um, Jesus' life was not random, and that your life is not random, and that God has a plan for you. See, this is where you get hope. You put your confidence in God's word. You put your hope in his plan for your life. Look at what scripture says, Romans chapter 15, verse four. Speaking about the Bible, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. See, when you look at God's history and you see that he knows how to show up in just the right place at just the right time, it gives you hope. And that's a powerful thing. Now, let's be honest, though. Have you ever had a moment where you said, this does not seem like the right place, and this does not seem like the right time, and you're tempted to think, maybe there is no hope? This happened last Saturday at, at one of the Six Flags Adventure Parks in New Jersey. They were supposed to be open that day, and you would say, why would you be open in December? They were going to be open that day. They had to close this park in New Jersey because of a winter storm warning that was forecasting over six inches of snow. Why they were open, watch the irony here, they were open because the Guinness Book of World Records was gonna be there for them to measure the world's largest snowball fight. And they had to close because they were gonna have too much snow. Ironic, right? Wrong place, wrong time. Your life ever been there? And you just say, it seems like I keep ending up in the wrong place at the wrong time. And God, where are you? And God, where's my hope? Here's, here's the encouragement. Hope is believing that God was in the right place at the right time. And hope is believing that God will be in the right place at the right time. Even if it seems like your life is filled with irony, even if it seems like things aren't coming together, even if you have questions and you have doubts, hope is this. Hope is looking at the situation and still saying, God, I know you're the God who shows up in the right place, who shows up at the right time, and so I put my confidence, I put my trust, I put my hope in you. Hope doesn't mean that things are always easy or things are always smooth. Hope means that even when things are rough, I know where I put my confidence why Paul writes Romans chapter 12, verse 12. He says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
He says, look, even, even when you're in the storms of life, you put your confidence in God and you can find joy in that hope in him. You put your trust in him. It's this beautiful picture. And some of you may even say, look, I'm, I'm in the midst of a storm right now. Things are rough in my business. Things are rough in my home. Things aren't making sense in my relationships. I have questions about my health or I have issues with my finances or whatever it might be. Maybe just the chaos of this season. And you wonder, is there hope? Watch this picture. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Why does a ship need an anchor? So that in those moments when they need to stay put, when they need to know that things aren't going to move them, that they are going to be safe and they're going to be secure and that they can rely on where they are, that they have a foundation for their life, they depend on that anchor. And in your life, and maybe you're in that place right now, where it seems like there's a storm that's whirling all around you, you can know that you can have hope because God will show up in the right place at the right time and you can put your confidence in him. And then get this, because this is, I think, the whole beauty of Christmas. Look, hope is knowing that, that God was faithful in the past and believing that he'll show up in the right place at the right time in the future, that that's, that's your anchor. And if you have that hope, don't you think you should share that hope? Don't you think you should let others know of that hope? See, hope is to be shared in the right place at the right time. And this is really significant because God seems to keep bringing us back to this. Like over the course of the last few weeks, we've talked about how God sets up divine appointments. Last week, we talked about how he calls us to be the light of the world. And you have a hope that you found in Christ Jesus and there are people in the world around you who don't have that hope. You know what it's like to see people who just seem hopeless, right? And you have those moments to say, I can share that hope with them. I can share that grace with them. I can share the confidence that I have in Jesus Christ with them. In fact, scripture talks to us about this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. He says, look for that opportunity to share your hope. For some of you, that, that might even be the services that we have next week for Christmas. We have the, the two on Saturday, four and six, and then four on Sunday at 10, noon, four, and six. And as we have those services, there may be people in your world, in your family, maybe people that you'll just even meet this week, that you could invite for them to come, and a message of hope could impact their lives. Look, I, I know what, what our worship team's already put together. It's going to be a sharp service. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll just, I'll just tell you real honestly, the Christmas service is one where as a, as a pastor, you never have to wonder, hmm, what Bible story will I tell? <laughs> like, you know, right? So then it has this tendency to kind of be like, I mean, it's a great story, but I got to tell that one again? And some years, I mean, these are years in the past when I was not as holy as I am now. <laughs> there were these times where I just kind of be like, oh, I got to tell that story again. I can tell you the honest truth. I'm more excited about this service than I have been in quite a few years because I really feel like God has given us a message of hope that we can share with people next week as we look at this story, as we look at the fact that Jesus came, even from a little bit of a different angle. So if you know someone, 
And look, for some of you right now, it's, it's somebody whose name is already on your mind or in your heart that you know what they're in desperate need of right now in their life is hope. You can share that with them. You can give that to them because you found it. You have it. You can share hope this Christmas. Jesus gave it to us, right time, right place, story of hope. You can give it to others. This Christmas, I challenge you, if you need a gift-giving guide, number one, give hope. Let let me take you to the second thing. This This is a little bit of a turn here, but it's in this same story. Number two, this Christmas, can I challenge you to give humility? Number two, give humility. If you go back to that story, think about it for a moment. Let me read it to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I, I think when you read that, it's important to realize what it does not say. If I was God... Boy, can you be happy I'm not. But if I was God, it would read differently. If I was God, it would read, she gave birth to her firstborn, a king. And she wrapped him in fine linens and silk and placed him in a golden cradle by his throne because he had such an immense palace. That's how I would have done it. Because Jesus was a king, right? Yes or no? Yeah, he's a king. And he had all kinds of power and authority at his disposal. Yes or no, right? Yes, he did. This is the truth. So if that's true, if Jesus was a king with incredible power, then why would God send him this way? Why did he come in in such humble circumstances? Think about what we read here. It's, It's a good reminder of what Jesus did and then even thinking of ourselves. It says that she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in cloths. Some Bible versions, you've, you've heard the, the word swaddling clothes, right? And the idea was they would take strips of fabric and they would wrap the child up for a couple of reasons. One, babies like that swaddling feeling. They like to be warm. And there was this idea in the ancient world that you would wrap a child with like their limbs straight so they would grow straight. I like these biblical straight jackets they put babies in. And I, I, don't know, I don't know if it works or not. I don't know all that. But here's the point. Jesus was born just like any other child. Right, like, like every other child of his day, he came into this world as humanity. In fact, maybe what we'd refer to as, as the humility of humanity. Why is that important? There's this prophecy that's buried in the, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and again in chapter 8, where it says, someone is going to come, and when they come, you will call him Emmanuel, because that name means God is with us. In fact, Matthew talks about this in, in his gospel when he tells the Christmas story. He says this, Matthew 1, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The son of God, creator of the universe, king over all things, came to this earth, not in the way that I would have sent him, but in the humility of humanity so that we could know him, so that we could know that he was God with us. Why is that? Because it's powerful to be present, right? When you're present, when you're there, when you're engaged, when you're involved, 
There's a power in that. It's powerful to be present. How many of you know you can be somewhere and not really be present there? Anybody? Ever had that happen? I mean, somebody's you know, talking to you, and you're daydreaming, or you're looking at your phone, or you're doing something, and you realize, I'm here, but I'm not here. But when you are present, it's a powerful thing. There's beauty in, in things like Skype or FaceTime, because it, it seems like through technology, you can actually kind of be somewhere even when you're not actually there, which just highlights for us how much we want presence, how much we want someone involved and active and in our lives. So get this, God's presence makes all the difference. In your life, in my life, when we have the presence of God, when we go through the circumstances in life with hope, when we know that we have confidence in him, when we sense his peace, God's presence makes all the difference. So here's my encouragement to you. This time of the year, we, we hear this whole Emmanuel thing, God with us thing. We hear it over and over again. Don't take it too lightly. Like, this is a big deal. God himself is present with us. He's involved with us. He's right here with us. And that's huge because his presence makes all the difference in our lives. And we want that. We long for that. Even to the point that some people will go to great lengths to get that presence, even if it's not real. I read a story this week about a new service that's, that's primarily in China that if you need a parent, you can rent one. This is the idea. If you need a parent, and, and the idea is if you need a parent and you don't want your own, you can rent a surrogate parent. So here's the idea. The service costs about $7.50 an hour. That doesn't seem like a bad deal to me. And you get somebody who will come and stand in for you. So there's an advertisement for this. Here's what it reads. Do you have a boyfriend or girlfriend who wants to meet your parents, but you actually don't want them to meet them? <laughs> Rent a parent. This is the whole idea, right? You can do this. And then you, you don't even have to answer their ads. You can put out your own ad. Somebody put this out and said, a rented parent is needed. Just need you to make one phone call to my teacher. That's it. <laughs> so you can just get a surrogate parent. You can just rent someone to be present with you. Here's the problem, though. When you start dating Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and they meet your surrogate parent, and eventually they have to meet your real parents, that might fall apart a little bit, right? There's a little trust issue in that. If your teacher finds out that you had phone a friend on that one, you're busted. At some point, when you have fake presence, it falls apart. Jesus came to be real with us, to be God with us, to be active and involved in our lives. And that's a huge thing. That's what he came to do. And if that's true about him, let, let me break this down for a moment about you. Jesus' presence in your life is a game changer. It makes all the difference. And he modeled for us this humility of humanity, how powerful it is for us in the moments and situations of our lives to be fully present. Not only is God's presence something that makes all the difference, but know this, your presence makes all the difference. When you're active, when you're engaged, when you're really there in a situation, your presence makes all the difference. Know this, for some of you, people need you to be present with them this Christmas. That the greatest gift you can give to them 
It's, it's just to be there and fully engaged. Man, I know it's difficult because for some of us, our schedules are crazy. We are running out of time. We've got things we have to do. We get moments where we're distracted. We have time pressures. We have promises we've made. We have this crunch that comes. But what if you would be fully engaged? Your presence makes all the difference. Let me give you just a quick passage of scripture. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 14. It says, like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. So, so take this in an agricultural ancient society. If you're a farmer and you know that you need the heavens to open and bring some irrigation to your crops and you see a cloud coming, are you excited? And what if that cloud blows by and never drops a thing? If it's a cloud without rain, do you think you're frustrated and disappointed? Yeah, it gets you right here. And here's what he says. Like a cloud without rain is someone who boasts of gifts, who promise things that they never follow through on, gifts that aren't given. And I don't think we're talking there about gifts that you order online or that you buy in a store. The gift of keeping your word, the gift of being present, the gift of being active in another person's life. Look, your presence makes all the difference. And this Christmas, and, and maybe you know who that is in your family, maybe somebody who just needs you to be with them, your greatest present may be to be fully present. The greatest present you might be able to give to someone is for you to be fully present with them. And I, I know it's not easy. I know that there's times when you're weary and you're tired and that's tough to do. And in those moments, I would encourage you to ask Jesus to help you because he modeled this. John chapter 11. Do you, do you remember the story? Jesus had a friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus died. Anybody remember this story? He has two sisters. Jesus hears that he dies, and yet Jesus doesn't rush there when he hears Lazarus is sick. He lets Lazarus die. It's almost like he knows what's going on here. And then he finally gets there. His sisters are upset. They say, Jesus, you should have been here. You could have changed things. He gets um, to, to meet up with, with Mary, who's the sister of Lazarus, and it says this, verse 33 of John 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Now, now get this before we go to the next verse. Jesus knows what he's about to do. Like this story just hints all along. Jesus knows that even though he's dead, he ain't going to be dead for long. He's coming back. And if you don't know the story, Jesus calls him out from the grave, and Lazarus comes from death back to life. And in the midst of this, Jesus knows what's going on here. He understands it all. And yet, when he sees her grief, you ready for this? Shortest verse in all the Bible, John eleven thirty five. 35. If you've never memorized a scripture verse, you're about to learn your first one. You ready? John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Look, to be fully present, to be engaged in people's lives. I'm not saying it's easy. I had a conversation recently. I'd had a busy day and uh, sat down with a friend. And I had this moment. You've never had this, but I had it. I sat down and a friend started to talk and my brain said, I don't know that I have the gas in my tank to make this journey. Do you know what I mean? 
I'm like, I am worn out. And I know this is an important conversation, but I don't know that I have what it takes to listen, to be fully engaged. And I knew this wasn't gonna be an easy conversation. Like, my friend needed me in that moment. And I had to stop for a minute and say, God, I need you to help me. Because physically, I'm tired right now. And emotionally, I don't feel like I have much to give. But I know that this is a moment where for my friend to be in the right place in the right time, I have hope that I can give to him, but I'm not gonna be able to do that unless I'm fully present. And I'm not gonna be able to be fully present unless you help me. And God, I need your help. And you know what? I felt, I felt God's strength come alongside because Jesus knows what it's like to be in that moment. And I felt his strength help me in a time when I didn't think I could do it on my own to give me the strength to have what turned out to be a really meaningful and I hope important conversation. with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I love this last line here. He says, do not be conceited. And so there's times when, when God challenges us, will you basically take on the humility of humanity? Will you slow down enough to be fully present with someone? And then look at the rest of this story. It, it says this, go back to the text. It says, they placed him in a manger because there was not a guest room available for them. So what's, what's a manger? It's a feeding trough. It's a, it's a place where animals would eat. And Jesus, the, the king of everything, is placed in this. How, how does that even make sense in a, even in a historical aspect? You know, oftentimes what we picture is we picture that Mary and Joseph, excuse me, are going around from place to place. They're knocking on doors because they're trying to find a place in the inn, right? You remember that? And there's the mean innkeeper, and they go, first they go to Hampton Inn, there's no room. They go to Holiday Inn Express, there's nothing there. Kind of work their way down the list. Finally, they get to a place where it's just this mean innkeeper who makes all the cartoons, and he just slams the door in their face, says, there's no place for you. So they just end up in this kind of random garage somewhere, and she gives birth. As much as that makes for a really cool movie, that's probably not accurate to what historically happened in the first century. Homes in that time were oftentimes, especially in this region of Bethlehem, there were a lot of caves, and so they might find a cave and then kind of build their home kind of on the outside coming out of that cave, there would be a home. And on the inside of that cave is where they would keep their animals because your animals were pretty important, right? Especially in agricultural society, you would need your animals. So if you're a farmer and you have a John Deere tractor, do you keep it in your front yard with the key in it? Absolutely not. You're going to put it in the back and lock it up in the barn. And so they would keep their animals in the back, and then the home would kind of move out from there. And the truth is, when it says that Jesus was born in this place because there was no room, many Bible versions say the inn. Oftentimes, we have to think about that and go, is that really the, the right cultural thing? The idea there, and, and you see this in the New International Version that we're reading, it says there wasn't room in the guest room. When Luke talks about, in his, in his gospel, when he talks about an inn, you see this in the story of the Good Samaritan, he uses a different word. But the word he uses here in Luke 2 is basically just the word for accommodations. So most likely, the, the story of, of getting rejected at the Hampton Inn isn't necessarily what happened in Scripture. Most likely, when Joseph and Mary were inconvenienced and ended up in Bethlehem, they went back to a family home, maybe even a home that his father lived in. And the reason there was no room for them wasn't because anybody was mean. It was because a whole bunch of people had come back for the census. And that a whole bunch of people living in their house. And as a result of that, it was cramped. And now it's time for her to have a baby. Probably had to bring in a midwife. 
They needed a lot of room for this to happen. And so Joseph and Mary kept getting kind of pushed back and back till they found themselves face to face with the sheep, right? It's this same story of Jesus coming in a place that was humble and rejected and alone, really. This is the story that we see here. And we ask the question again. Jesus was born in a home that wasn't his own, in a place that wasn't his hometown, at a time that was very tense, and in a way that was filled with humility. Why would God allow this to happen? Why did God let his son, a king, come this way? Because he didn't want to impress us. He didn't want to scare us. He wasn't trying to wow us or shame us. When Jesus came, he came in human form so that he could have relationship with us, so that you could know him, that you could have him fully present in your life. And he wants us to model that same humility. So much so that when when Paul writes about Jesus, he says this, look at this, Philippians chapter two, verse three. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Man, there's a, there's a whole nother sermon there, but do you see what he said? He said, humility puts others first. Humility doesn't look to its own interests, but it sees the interests of others, and it puts others first. And maybe this Christmas, part of what God's challenging you to do, maybe just even just in, in places in your life, is to be willing to say, I'll put aside what I want because I know that God's calling me to put someone else first in my life, to, to check your heart and see what God might have you to do. Look, look at this, Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. We already talked about humility and not being conceited from that other passage. Look at what Paul writes. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I love the way he helps us to know what it means to be conceited. It means that in the midst of that conceit, we begin to provoke each other. You ever been to a family Christmas party with provocation? <laughs> Envying each other? This season can lead to that. He says, look, you better check your heart. Don't, don't let conceit come in because it'll lead you down a path that you don't want to go. And then Paul talks some more about humility. Watch what he says, verse, verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here he says, humility not only puts others first, but then humility serves others. It's one thing for me to say, well, you, you go ahead in front of me. I'm going to put your needs first. It's a whole other thing then to say, and I'm going to help to meet those needs. I'm going to do something so that I can serve you. Why is this idea of serving so important? Because it impacts people's lives in a huge way. Some of Jesus' followers were arguing about which one of them were the greatest, which one of us are, are his favorite, which one of us are the best. And Jesus stepped in on this in the midst of tension, and he said this, Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, 
and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see what he said here? He said, greatness comes when you serve, and when you serve, you end up making a difference in the lives of others. He says, I came to serve so that I could be the ransom for many. When you serve someone else, you have the opportunity then to bring hope to them. It brings peace to your life, and it can bring life change to them. Humility brings life to others. It can make all the difference in your home, in your family. If you're in a place where there's tension and frustration, maybe what it's gonna take to break that is for you to be willing to take the first step with humility and say, I will bring the grace and the love and the hope of Jesus Christ to others, even if it means I have to be fully present and humble myself. This is so key for us in this season because God has called you to be people who bring hope to others. He's called you to find hope in your life, but you might not find it until you're willing to take on the humility of humanity, to be fully present and to let God work in your life, even if that means putting others first. But if you'll do those things, if you'll give hope, if you'll give with humility, it can make all the difference. There's a story that's, that's been circulating in the news this week of a church in Tennessee that had their Christmas program, their kids' Christmas pageant. And there's a video, maybe you've seen it, and, and the, the Christmas pageant's going on. All the kids are singing. I think it's way in a manger. They're over there singing. And they have this stable that's set up, and the little preschoolers come out and do the nativity scene. And they're all sitting there under this little stable. They're up on the church platform, and you've got the, the manger. You've got Mary. Joseph is kind of clueless back in the corner. And then you got all the little animals in their costumes. You got a cow, you got sheep, you got all that going on. And they're singing the songs. And all of a sudden on the video, right up front and center is this little girl in a, in a sheep costume who's too cute for her own good. And all of a sudden, it's like she looks over in the manger and she's like, there's a baby in there. And so she reaches over and she pulls out the, the doll that's baby Jesus. This is a sheep, not supposed to happen. Not in the Bible story, right? <laughs> She reaches over, she pulls the sheep out, and she holds it. She picks it up, and she, she turns away from, like, from the manger scene, and she looks out at the audience, and she holds this baby Jesus, and she starts dancing around with it during away in the manger, which is cute and all, but Mary ain't having it, okay? So Mary stands up from the manger and comes over, gives the sheep a dirty look, and pulls baby Jesus out of her hands, goes back over. Somebody went, oh, Mary's just doing her job, all right? So... Puts the baby back in the manger, and it's all, all is calm, all is bright for just a moment. And then the sheep goes back. Mary has had enough of this, and they start having a tug of war with the baby Jesus. Right? They're going back and forth as they move across the front of the, the, the stable scene, and the video ends when Mary literally has the sheep in a headlock at the end of this thing. Not until that point that Joseph actually realizes what's going on. Poor little guy. Because what happened was someone was so focused during Christmas on what they wanted that they, whole, they threw the whole story out of whack. And the same thing happens to us, right? When I take my focus off of what this season is all about and I just focus on myself, it causes me to be in a place where, where I miss out on what's going on around me. It causes me to not be fully present. And then I miss out on the hope of God with us. And people around me miss out on the hope 
of God with us. Look, God, God has put you where you are for the right place and the right time. And you know what will make a world of difference is if you look at this holiday season and you focus on that baby in the manger, not what you want him to be, but what he came to be. He came to be our savior and he came to be our Lord. And when we approach this holiday with hope and humility, that's when God can bring life change to you and to people around you. So just as we wrap up, would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? I really have three questions I wanna ask just, just real quick as we, as we close out. The first is this, that maybe as I talked about this idea of humility, you began to say to yourself, there are places in, in my life, maybe even just real practically this week, that I need to put others first. There's relationships and situations where I need to be fully present. God, I'm gonna need your help to do that. Lord, would you help me to approach this Christmas with humility? Lord, I, I need your help to be humble this season. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray with you today. You know God's speaking to you about being fully present, about humbling yourself in a situation. Say, God, I need your help. Would you help me to be humble this season? Yeah, thanks. Maybe there's others of you that as we talked about sharing the hope that you have, there was, this, there was this moment where, where someone or some place or some event came to your mind and you knew that that was a person that God would have you to share hope with. It might be a family member, it might be a coworker, it might be a friend, but especially right now this season, God's speaking to your heart, it's time for you to share hope with that person. If that's you and, and you know God wants you to share hope, just raise your hand. It's kind of between you and God and just say, God, help me this week. I look for the divine appointment. I wanna be the light of the world. One last question. Maybe as we talked about it today, you said what I need is hope this Christmas. Maybe nobody else in the world knows exactly what's going on in your life. God does. And he knows that he can show up at the right place at the right time. And even if your situation seems to have an element of hopelessness to it, you would say, God, would you give me hope today? Help me to find my hope you'd say, God, I need your hope this Christmas. Would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. So, Father, we come to you. Lord, thanks for your word that speaks to us. Jesus, thank you that you came not as a king to impress us, not with violence to punish us, but you came as a baby to know us to be with us. God, some of us this season, we need to humble ourselves and approach this Christmas with humility to be fully present. Lord, to serve others. Would you help us to do that? Lord, others of us, you, you've put someone in our path that we're to give hope to, to share that hope. We, we might not even know who they are yet, but Lord, you're at work. Would you help us to show that hope? God, I pray for the one who needs hope today. Lord, as they look to you, would you help them to know and see you as the hope of the world? Lord, thanks for this time, God. We pray that these words would, would encourage us as we go through the rest of this week and this holiday. God, as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. Father, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.